1: Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is Chloe Brotheridge, your host. I'm a coach, hypnotherapist and the author of The Anxiety Solution. This week I'm talking to fertility expert Emma Cannon. She's a master acupuncturist. She has been in this industry for over 20 years. She's the author of five books, her latest of which is called Fertile. And in this interview, we talk about how to get your body ready to have a baby, whether you're a man or a woman. And more than that, about the mindset shifts that need to happen in order to be more fertile. And according to Emma, being fertile isn't just about having a baby. It's about being fertile in all areas of your life, being abundant, being full of health and getting your body ready for a baby. So just before we get into the interview, I want to let you know that I have a new freebie available on my website it is for you if you struggle with social anxiety and it's an incredibly powerful guided visualization that i have used myself and it's a technique that i use a lot with my clients one-to-one to supercharge your social confidence and i know from my instagram and all the messages that i get that wanting to tackle social anxiety is a big big kind of goal for a lot of you so i really hope you're going to enjoy this you can just head to karma-u.com forward slash social hyphen confidence. So it's karma-u.com forward slash social hyphen confidence. And I'll post a link to get that in the show notes. So please enjoy this interview with Emma Cannon. So welcome, Emma. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. How are you? My pleasure.
2: Hot, like everyone else, but um, it's lovely to be here to talk about my favourite subject.
1: Amazing. And I I first heard of you from one of your clients who, um, I'm not sure where I met them, but um, I've I've heard your name in a lot of places and seen you on Instagram and a lot of people rave about you. So I was really looking forward to um, hearing some of your wisdom today.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I love what I do and I've been doing it for a long time. And I've seen this this industry go through a lot of changes. Um, you know, wellness is absolutely huge now. Um, but when I started out, but, well, A, we didn't have the internet. And B, we didn't even have a word for wellness. Um, and, and back in those days, I, I guess it was the late 90s, people really didn't even think that food made a difference to your health. So we have come a very long way.
1: <laughs> yes. And can you tell us about what you do and how you got to where you are today then?
2: Sure. So mainly what I do now is I work supporting um, women's and men's fertility. Um, But I kind of use it in a much more general term. So it's um, about how we become fertile. Um, And so, yes, that is to to have a baby, to become a parent. But also in its broader sense, how do we become more fruitful, prolific and abundant in our life? So I'm also working on that very emotional level of that as well. And so in that way, I can help people even if they're not trying to have a baby. Of course, the main people that do come and see me are those wanting to have a baby. And that's the area that I've traditionally worked in for the last 25 years. But I do see a change in people who are wanting to sort of think about um, being fertile maybe earlier in their life. Um, So I I have a very uh, eclectic approach, I guess. My my starting point was Chinese medicine, and I studied that um, in the the late 90s. Um, But even in the 90s when I started out, I was still very interested in science uh, and very interested in the mind. So I've always been fascinated by techniques such as hypnosis and how we can get the mind working for us rather than against us. So my approach today is very much a a combination, it's fertility consultancy where I look at somebody's case history and I go through everything um, and um, pinpoint them and put them in the right direction, so in a kind of coaching consultancy type manner, but also I still use acupuncture every day in clinic Um, and also body-mind approaches, so it's, it's very much my own breed really.
1: Yeah, so you're looking at it from a lot of different perspectives and recognising that it's not just necessarily one thing, but you have to sort of make a few changes in a few areas in order to become more, more fertile.
2: Yeah, often. And, um, you know, I think as well as having a, a good overview of the, the medical system and, and what, you know, how they're looking at it, I mean, they're very much looking at sperm and egg. Um, and I and I think that's obviously very important. We we definitely wouldn't be here without sperm and egg. But I think there's an awful lot else that goes on in a person's life and in their body and in their relationships and in their jobs and all of these things can have an impact. So I'm really looking at it from a very holistic, broad point of view.
1: Great. And I know acupuncture is obviously such a big kind of topic, and we could talk just about that for the whole interview. But can you briefly explain? what
2: acupuncture is and how how that helps people yeah sure I mean first of all what I'd like to say about acupuncture is it comes from a system of medicine known as Chinese medicine and acupuncture is just one part of it so in China you would have herbal medicine you would have therapeutic massage you would have dietary advice and in the hospitals in China it would be used alongside Western medicine so very much like in the way that I use it in clinic today. Um, and one of the things I love about Chinese medicine is its differential diagnosis. So you can look at five different people and even they, they might all present with something called endometriosis, for example, what we would call endometriosis, but it would manifest in an entirely different way. And so you would treat that in a, in each person in a very different way. And of course, Western medicine is now coming around to this type of medicine. It's saying we need more individual approaches to treating disease. So Chinese medicine is always practiced in this way. So acupuncture is part of Chinese medicine. They also use acupuncture in other systems as well. Japanese have used it as well. Um, and it's um, obviously it's putting needles in the body. And what we're trying to do with the acupuncture is return the body towards normal
1: function.
2: It has a measurable effect on the body. So when you put a needle in the body, you're able to see the changes in the brain. So we can see changes in the hypothalamus, which is the part of the brain that controls hormones. We release endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, all of which flood the body with these sort of feel-good um, hormones that make us feel safe. And I think that's one of the really key reasons why acupuncture is such a great therapy to use in fertility because I think a lot of us these days feel a little bit on some level a little bit unsafe and we're pumping out a lot of adrenaline and acupuncture is the perfect antidote to that
1: yeah I mean I totally agree with the thing around safety I think so much of our lives puts us into fight or flight and anything that can instill that sense of safety is incredibly important I actually had my my own experience with acupuncture a few years ago Um, not for anything kind of um, hormone related, but actually for some hip pain. I'd been to see osteopaths. I'd seen a physio. I'd had all of these different treatments and I had one session of acupuncture and it just released something in my hip and the hip pain went and never returned. So I'm very much in awe of how amazing acupuncture is.
2: It can be. I mean, obviously it, 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 it has huge limitations as well, like any system of medicine, which is why I really like to use know the the more integrated approach and I think that that's true of of every system of medicine every system has strengths and weaknesses and I think it's the skill of the practitioner to really know how you know how to put things together and when to appropriately use one therapy over another
1: yeah yeah absolutely um and what about stress because I know this is an aspect that you are kind of helping people with how does that impact our fertility
2: First of all, and this is you know we talked about a lot, and you know there's quite a lot of denial I think in Western medicine about the impact of stress on fertility. Um, But I think we already know that it can affect sexual function. So stress can affect um, your libido. It can affect performance. It can prevent you from being able to maintain erection. Man from being able to maintain erection. It can yeah can kill a woman's libido. So we already know on that very functional level. Um, that it has a negative impact but also I think that we're beginning to see evidence that it has a more insidious kind of effect on the body and again I want to go back to that fight or flight and that, that feeling of safety because I really believe that we were we were meant to conceive at a time when we felt our health was optimal but also at a time when we felt safe that we weren't going to have to run away from the tiger there were going to be enough calories available for us um, and that we weren't in this um, you know, fight or flight. So we weren't pumping out loads of adrenaline. And I think that what the acupuncture does is is it, it puts us more into that state. So it's definitely reduces stress in that way. And I think the, the other side to fight or flight is what we call feed or breathe. So that's the place that I'm always trying to get my patients to whether it's through acupuncture, meditation, my 90 days fertile program, I have this amazing crystal bed now that I brought back from Brazil. All of the time, I'm trying to create that sense of, you're safe, this is an optimal time to conceive, you're fertile. Because if we're kind of reading all those messages in the newspaper and thinking our time is running out, and of course there is time limit on our fertility, absolutely, I would never disagree with that. But I also think there's a lot of fear-driven stories in the media, particularly against women, you know?
1: Mm yeah totally I mean I'm 32 now and a lot of my friends have it almost seems as if on the strike of your birthdays, when you're 35 you're suddenly going to be unable to have a child and there's a lot of anxiety I think amongst women kind of my age who are thinking I need to get a partner or I need to do something but I mean is it like that should we be that worried what's your take on that
2: I definitely don't think worry is going to help. not do very much. I think you've got to be proactive. I think that you want to engage in your fertility, and then I, I encourage women to engage in their fertility earlier in life and prioritise it. And I think one of the problems is is that we just it's that inconvenient truth, isn't it? We don't really want to engage in it because we're not really in a position to change anything about it. But I think the problem is, is we haven't valued it. We haven't valued it in the same way as we valued our careers or valued our having a house. And I do think that that will begin to change. I mean, particularly my generation, you know, we were, we knew not to get pregnant and we knew not to take heroin. <laughs> you know, that's what we were taught. And, um, and you know, it was... It was really bummed into us not to get pregnant, so it became something that we therefore didn 't value and I think it 's about value and it's if you value becoming a family one day, then yes, I think you need to take steps earlier in your life to a engage in your menstrual cycle and your gynecology to make sure that you stay as healthy as possible in that way so if, for example, if you haven't had a period in you know, two years, that's probably not a great sign. Or if you're, you know, if you have extremely difficult and painful periods, you know, you might want to get that checked out. We don't have a very good gynecology kind of culture in this country. We tend to wait till things really go wrong before we fix it. Whereas in other countries, you know, women see a a a gynecologist throughout their life. So, um, you know, there, are, there are things we can do, we can engage in our health, we can not smoke, we can, you know, limit the, um, our exposure to things that may have an impact on our fertility. Obviously, a lot of it is in the lap of the, the, the gods or it's in our genetics. So, you know, what age did your mother have her menopause? If she had her menopause in her 40s, you might want to think about trying to have children earlier in life yourself. So these are all the kind of things that I would go through with somebody and also talking about things like egg freezing um, and whether that's a viable option. And that's really something that, that works better the earlier that you do it. So it's not like you can wake up at 40 and just panic and say, I haven't got a partner, I think I'm going to freeze my eggs. It's not that simple. Um, so there's, there's no right answer to that. There's lots of different ways in, but for sure, there's always things that you can do earlier in your life to engage in your fertility and to have a better understanding of it so if you know you've got something like endometriosis or polycystic ovaries or you know any or your mother had menopause earlier you can try and take steps now that's not necessarily going to magic you a man but it's um you know it might um it might make you value it a bit more it might make you um put it above other things in your life or not you know we all have choices don't we
1: yeah that's all so interesting and just really good things to to bear in mind you know things to take into account absolutely um can i just go back to something you just mentioned about a crystal bed because i saw this on your instagram and i was really curious can you share with that with us what that is
2: well i went to brazil at the beginning of the year um and for, for a very deep sort of healing process i spent two weeks out there with the there's a, a man there who's supposed to be the most powerful medium on earth, and one of the things that they use there is they use this crystal bed, and I was like, pa, you know, what's a crystal bed, you know? Anyway, I got amazing results from it, and I really thought it was um, incredibly powerful, and so I decided to bring one back, and I've been working with it ever since. And the way that I work is, I don't like to read a lot about what other people are doing. I prefer to be a pioneer in that way. So I thought, I'm not going to read anything about this, I'm not going to read, I'm going to experience it first. So for the last six months, I've been experimenting with it and seeing how it worked and what I felt it did. And then just recently, I've been looking at literature. So I've been looking at some Alzheimer's literature on flashing lights, because one of the things that the crystal bed does is it's a a sort of metal arm with... seven seven, seven vogel cut crystals where the light shines through them and they're all different colors according to your chakra system. So in this research that they're doing on Alzheimer's, it's talking about how flashing lights um, is thought as a certain resonance, a certain speed is, is supposed to be a very good treatment for Alzheimer's and this is a huge area of research now. So now that I've been working with it myself, I've now started to look in you know, look at other literature that might explain how it works. My own take with it is that I think that it's working on our biofield, which is the energetic field outside of our body, which is rather like the ozone layer. So a bit like the ozone layer is becoming a bit depleted and thinner, so is our biofield. Of course, the ancients have always described the biofield, but they called it our aura or our chakra system. So this is nothing new, that we are more than just our bodies and that our energy extends outside of our bodies. Um, But I have a feeling that that's what the crystal bed is tuning in on. So it's sort of balancing, repairing the kind of energetic field outside of the body.
1: Yeah, fascinating. Fascinating, fascinating. And it's amazing how much more kind of mainstream things around crystals and, you know, energy, kind of recognising that we're, we're made of energy and, you know, you can impact yourself positively in different kind of energy modalities is becoming much more mainstream I think it's really interesting
2: I know definitely when I first started out you couldn't even say energy without people kind of talking you know sort of saying what what what's energy yeah but now I mean everyone's far more spiritual these days aren't they and far more open I mean you know I think it's it's much more mainstream which is great um, you know, there's a good side to that and there's a bad side to that. I think there's a lot of nonsense talked, um, and we try to be really rigorous in this clinic. Um, but um, obviously, I think it's a good thing that we're much more engaged in our health. And, and you know, these days we're on the shoulders of dark giants. You know, in the 60s, when all of this stuff came around, they, they had no forefathers. So it was destined to fail then. Mm. Um, whereas now, people coming into wellness, they have everybody that that has laid the path for them already?
1: I think it's often because people have maybe gone down a conventional route of conventional medicine and found that there were no answers or it's a a mystery as to why you can't get pregnant and you're looking for something else. And, you know, there is so much more evidence emerging that there are these other options available for us that maybe kind of conventional medicine um, hasn't kind of caught up with yet. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think,
2: you know, science is really important and science is something that's growing and developing all the time. But science is in its infancy compared to some of this, this other stuff. And, you know, some of the things that the, that the ancients said and some of the observations made about the body are, are being proved by science today, every day, you know. So things about neural pathways. meditation and how important that is. Well, But the ancients have always known that meditation is important and things like fasting. So now we're saying intermittent fasting is good, but, but that's been part of many cultures for many, many years. So none of this stuff is really new. It's just that we're rediscovering explanations for how it might work and science is beginning to prove. So I think what's very interesting at the moment is the gap between science and all of these complementary therapies is lessening all the time. And, and I, I think the problem is, is that some people are, are too closed minds. So they just sit there in their own, you know, this is what I do. I, this is, I was taught science. I don't believe in anything else. I can't measure it. It doesn't exist. Well, actually, sometimes science isn't asking the right questions yet. So you know, it's it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. I think we all need to have more open minds in whatever we do, um, and we need each other. You know, I, I can't do everything. Science can't do everything.
1: Totally. I love that perspective. Um, we often hear about, um, when it comes to whether it's PMS or infertility, our hormones being out of balance somehow. Um, what's your take on that? Are our hormones out of balance, do you think? Yeah.
2: I mean that is, it's, it's a slightly non-scientific idea there, our hormones being out of balance, because I think in truth our, our hormones ebb and flow all of the time. And I think that there is a natural ebb and flow of hormones throughout the body. I, I think there is a point at which that you can um, take a blood test and have a look at your hormones and you can make an analysis um, on your health from that from that test, but still it's just a snapshot in time. And I also just say to people, because patients become very devastated sometimes when they get um, uh, poor hormone results. and but it it is something that's changing all the time and it's a little bit like looking through one window of a house and based on what you see in that one room deciding that you need to sort of renovate the whole house so I think you have to be a little bit careful about this saying you know hormones and being out of balance Um, I think the truth is is our hormonal system is very sensitive and I think that the truth is that our our environment increasingly does not support our delicate hormonal system Um, and so yes I think our hormones are struggling. I think that we're exposed to uh, more hormone um, disrupting things in our environment like soft plastics. And there's quite, I do quite a lot of work around this. So there's a lot of talk at the moment about reducing our plastic for the oceans. So I think we need to reduce our plastic for ourselves and for our own health as well. And that what we do to the planet has an impact on us. We're not separate. You know, the, the earth is our mother. And if she's polluted, we are also polluted. So I, I look a lot at things like environmental, um, in things in our environment that we can clean up, um, you know, cleaning products and things like that, so that we can protect our hormone system. Yeah, and foods and the gut. I think the gut is really important. And there's been a lot talked about the gut. I think the gut is extremely important for fertility as well. Uh, because if the gut doesn't function properly, the hormone system is also disrupted. So, yes, it's, it's an interesting idea, um, this idea of them being out of balance. But I think, in truth, our hormones, there is an ebb and flow throughout the day, throughout the year, throughout you know, the seasons. Um, they're constantly in flux.
1: That's really interesting, and especially what you say about plastic. I um, was listening to another podcast the other day, and they were talking about there being kind of small amounts of plastic in unfiltered water, and obviously in kind of bottled water that's been stored in plastic, and how actually, if if you're not kind of filtering your water properly, then your body is the filter, and that stuff just basically stays in your body. And it was quite a horrifying thought. It really stuck in my mind about... Wanting to be careful about yeah filtering water and lowering that exposure to plastic.
2: Yeah, I mean I think it's always a difficult question. People always say to me, "Is there more infertility?" Then <laughs> this is it's, it's a complex answer because our awareness is very different, our environment is very different. Um, it's the same question with with cancers: Are there more cancers, or are we just more aware of it? You know, I think it's both i think there are more cancers there are more there is more infertility one of the reasons for increasing infertility for sure is is the increasing age at which couples decide to start a family but i definitely think that we cannot overlook our environment in both the cancer story and the fertility story um and um we know this already from male fertility and the you know the impact of sperm on the soft plastics and things like that and and air quality, we have really good evidence on air quality. And if you think that, I think it was last year. You know, by the end of the second week in January, I think it was Brixton had already su- surpassed its whole air pollution levels for the entire year. Oh wow, God, <laughs> you know. And and you think about men, the amount of men that cycle now, and the, and the pollution that they breathe in through that, also the heat that's generated from sitting on the bicycle, you know, the testicles. You know, so there's there's lots of things that we do now um, that may be impacting on our fertility. But I definitely think we can't overlook the environment.
1: And obviously, I think it seems as though the focus is often on women when it comes to fertility and what women should be doing. But of course, men you know they're 50% of the issue as well and you mentioned a couple of things that men can be doing to to kind of increase their fertility are there other factors when it comes to men that you um, notice or suggest that that men should be doing
2: yeah I mean it's definitely important for men to get on board and I think increasingly we're seeing that that male in, male fertility is impacted as well so I think environmental factors are important I think things like heat we know that heat um, affects the sperm, so that heat. So heat sources tend to be things like you know cycling or wearing tight boxer shorts or chefs often because their testicles are quite near the fire in the kitchen. Um, looking at nutrition, how much they're drinking, smoking, recreational drugs, was, was there any trauma to the testicles earlier in life? Um, varicose seals, those are sort of things like varicose veins that may be impacting the blood flow yeah so there's loads of things that we can do to look at male fertility for sure
1: yeah so it's you know from every angle almost little things just to be aware of to make sure you're maximizing your your chances of creating a baby that's interesting um can you tell us about um where people can find out more about you and and what you're up to at the moment sure
2: well to support because i've really have this passion for supporting people emotionally really through it i developed this system called 90 days fertile which is a 90 days online program when you sign up for it you get delivered something every day into your inbox so it tends to be mp3s or meditations or uh um, recipes and it takes you from a process of being what i call a barren thinker so that's in barren thinking there's never enough if someone else is winning then i'm going to be losing there's not enough babies to go around, I've left it too late, to becoming a kind of more fertile thinker. So instead of your brain always going into that neural pathway of pain and you know suffering, but I'm, I'm helping to, to grow new neural pathways of more positive, abundant thinking. Um, and it's giving people the tools to do that over a 90 day period. And I have five pillars of fertile within that. One is flexibility, uh, the other is creativity, nourishment transformation and belief so yes over the 90 days you're taken on this process to give you the tools to help you on your journey really because it's like anything in life I think that this idea is that we're not going to meet any obstacles is unrealistic I think what my program is saying is yes there will be obstacles and here are the tools that you need to deal with them
1: that's interesting how it's you know a lot about the mindset and your beliefs and I'm always talking about this with my clients, how powerful your your beliefs are um, in terms of kind of, you know, the automatic thoughts that you're having and um, feelings and behaviours. And if you can address those beliefs, then a lot of things can start to change.
2: Absolutely. I mean, there's five days in there on, you know, identifying and correcting your self-limiting beliefs, which we all have. So, yeah, I'm really pleased with it. It's lovely. It's a really, it's a very, very layered programme. Um, It's got a lot of stuff from coaching in there, a lot of stuff from psychology, a lot of um, Chinese medicine ideas, also nutrition. But, yeah, it's primarily um, a thought process, you know, to to develop more healthy ways of thinking,
1: really. That sounds absolutely brilliant. Great. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. Um, It's been really fascinating. And I'm going to post the links to your website and social media in the show notes so that people can check that out.
2: Okay, the ninety days is on the website on my um, on my website, and I'm happy to give your listeners a ten percent discount on that.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. So yeah, I'll put a link a link to that in the in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thanks so much for talking to me. Pleasure, bye.
0: Planning for your next trip.